This edition of the EdSurge On Air podcast is brought to you by the EdSurge Fusion Conference, an invitation-only event for school and district leaders. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the EdSurge On Air podcast. I'm your co-host, Mary Jo Matta. Now, this won't be really a shock to anyone. There is a huge gender disparity problem in the computer science world. The computing industry's rate of job creation in the United States may be three times that of other industries, but the number of females attaining computer science degrees is falling, according to U.S. News. In a report they put out in 2016, they said that in 1984, 37% of computer science majors were women, but by 2014, that number had dropped to 18%. Now, all this being said, Reshma Saujani doesn't think that the issues merely lie in offering girls more opportunities to learn. Rather, it's a problem of culture and consistency. Saujani, a former lawyer and the CEO and founder of Girls Who Code, has strong beliefs about how the political landscape will affect computer science education and what are the biggest hurdles facing us in educating females on how to code. Luckily, EdSurge got the opportunity to sit down with her right before her closing keynote at the 2017 ISTE conference in San Antonio, Texas. And we're going to get to that Q&A right after this. The EdSurge Fusion Conference is an invitation-only event for school and district leaders from around the country. They'll be coming together in the San Francisco Bay Area from November 1st to the 3rd to talk about personalized learning and school transformation. If this sounds interesting to you, please request an invitation or learn about sponsorship opportunities by going to the following bit.ly link, bit.ly slash edsurgefusion. That's one word. Again, bit.ly slash edsurgefusion. All right, listeners, welcome back. We're going to get into the Q&A with Reshma Saujani in a moment, but just to give you some food for thought, when computing jobs represent such a large swath of all of the upcoming jobs coming down the pipeline, the jobs that hopefully most of the students in schools now will be able to qualify for, are we equally preparing both females and male students? Well, talk to Reshma Saujani, the CEO and founder of Girls Who Code, and she has some pretty strong thoughts about where we're both excelling and not excelling in this space. For example, as she tells EdSurge, a girl doing an hour of code is not going to have an epiphany that is going to convert her. In fact, we need to do a lot more. Now, I won't tell you anything else. We're just going to go straight into the Q&A right now. Hello, Reshma, and welcome to the podcast. So let's just start off with um, this question. Why Girls Who Code? Why did you found this organization? Sure. Um, so I'm the Reshma Sajani. I'm the CEO and founder of Girls Who Code. I'm a super weird person to be running an organization, Teach Girls to Code, because I did not major in computer science. Um, I started this organization because I believe that girls are change makers. 
And I think that teaching them how to code is going to help them solve our world's biggest problems. Um, I also think that we're living in a, you know, a time where we're dependent on American women as our breadwinners. You know, 45% of American women are the ones who pay the mortgage, who put food on the table. And these are good paying jobs. And quite frankly, you know, as 45% of the things we do become automated in the next five years, these will be the jobs. And so we need to make sure that women are not left out. It's interesting how you say that because I was an art major. I went into the classroom to teach, so I felt underprepared. You started out as a lawyer and then moved to this. So what was that transition like? I thought I was getting every pedigree and every credential, you know, to do the work that I wanted to do. And I found myself at age 33, like, in the fetal position every day, hating my job, but also, like, very far away from the public service work that I thought I was put on this earth to do. And so, you know, I think the thing yeah. is, is that in your life, in your career journey, you're going to take lots of twists and turns. But I know for me, the core of what I wanted to do in my life ever since I was 12 years old was to make a difference and to create equity and opportunity for underserved communities. Um, and that's what I'm doing, I think, you know, through Girls Who Code and through the opportunities that we're creating for young girls. Do you think that politics will play a role in computer science education? I think politics plays a huge role because I think that um, the jobs have fundamentally changed and we're not communicating that to our children and to parents and even to educators. And so I think that it's very hard for if somebody has been working in the auto industry their whole life or in a factory, you know, they think that, you know, these are good paying jobs that are now changing, right, radically changing. And if they've never been exposed to computer science, right, or to coding it, while they, when they were growing up, how can we expect them to tell their children, like, you should learn how to code because that's the jobs of the future? We can't. And so we need to rely on policymakers and politicians to basically create these opportunities for the citizenry. Let's focus on the girls for a moment. What do you think are the biggest hurdles facing us in educating females on how to code? So I'm going to talk about that later today in my keynote, but I think one is culture, right? I think we live in a culture and a society where it's cool to say you hate math and science when you don't. Why is that? I think it's just, you know, it's something that's been happening since the 80s. You know, you can, I always see you walk into Forever 21 and buy a t-shirt that says I'm allergic to algebra. TV, I mean, media matters, right? Television matters, magazines matter. You, you open up, you know, you know, I would say like teen girls decide what's cool and what's not cool. And like this, the image of a coder is like a dorky guy sitting in a basement somewhere, like drinking a Red Bull, right? And little girls are like, I, I don't want to even be friends with him. So it's, we've discouraged our girls from going into this field because the good news, it's not about aptitude. Girls are outperforming boys in math and science from middle school on up. So it's more about interest. And it's really not even about interest because it's the interest that's been put upon them. Um, and so the good news is, I think that that's fixable. Um, and the second thing I talk about a lot is this, this idea of bravery, right? That like we teach our girls to be perfect and so much about learning how to code is an iterative process of failure, mm. right? Of that annoying semicolon being in the wrong place. You got to do it over and over and over again. If you don't like to do something that you're not immediately good at, you're going to gravitate away from coding. Mm -hmm. So we need to almost have girls sit with that discomfort and to realize that it's the, mo the most awesome thing when like your idea comes into life. Um, and, uh, and that failure and rejection are, are powerful tools to obtaining success and, and greatness and joy.
that's a big part of the Girls Who Code curriculum, from what I understand. How do you bring in those ideas of confidence and bravery? So I think we get them to practice failure, and we get them to exercise their confidence by publicly speaking in, in their ideas and, and raising their hand high and acknowledging when they, they don't know an answer and, and working with teams. Um, and, you know, I think the coding in and of itself teaches bravery. And um, it's so much baked into the things that we do. Like one of the things where we make sure we tell our teach is to have kind of a loop of feedback. So like communicate to your teachers about what they did, they could have done better, right? Or what you didn't learn or, you know, what you thought, you thought went really well today. Now, all this aside, there are some people out there that think that organizations like Black Girls Code or Girls Who Code are exclusionary, that because they focus on girls or students of color, um, that they exclude students. How do you respond to someone that feels that way? Well, listen, I have a son, um, and so I think I am seeing the world through his eyes, and I see that he's going to have a lot of privileges that if he was a girl, he just wouldn't simply have. And I think the thing is, is that there are the good news is, is that I think that those men are more are not typical. I think that there are more men today who uh, see the disparity and want their girls and their daughters to have opportunities. I was at the Rochester Institute of Technology and I was meeting with the Women in Computing group and there were like four dudes there and I was like, who are you? They're like, we're actually the men who are supporting the Women in Computing group. And they feel like it's their obligation right in the classroom when a girl's not being called on to be like, and, or when there's a sexist statement made when they're working at a certain place to like raise their hand and to be advocates. And so... That was awesome, right? So to see kind of the male ally movement really shaping and growing. Do you think that schools play a role in focusing on computer science, or is it better to let um, informal learning organizations do the work? No, I think schools play an, a great role. Look, I think the the thing is is that I do think that if we're not careful, the gender problem can, and the race problem can actually get worse, right? Because as co- computer science becomes more popularized, we don't mandate it and we don't change culture. There's no way all of a sudden girls are going to wake up tomorrow and say, you know, I want to learn how to code. We need to be very intentional about it. We can never take our eyes off gender. And so I think that schools schools can play a great role in making this as quick as possible, right? But they can also make it worse. Okay, a few last things. I have a question sourced from Twitter that I've been wanting to ask you. How much money do you think it should cost a parent or a school to teach a young girl how to code? How much do I think it should cost? Um, that's a great question. I, I think it, I think it's going to cost a lot. I think intervention is expensive. And I think the thing is, is that to me, unfortunately, I don't think an hour of code, a girl doing an hour of code is like, that's it. That's going to convert her. It has to be continuous, repetitive, intensive, um, and that's expensive. And so I think that we need to be prepared to invest a lot in our girls. I couldn't agree more. And actually, okay, I promise is the last one. I'd like to ask you one last question. Do you have any advice for the parents and teachers as they try to work together on all of this? So tell your girls to tinker, to take things apart. You know, I, I would say it's like all of, sometimes all of, we don't let our girls get dirty and to play and to take things apart and to build and create. And we need to like sh- encourage them to do that at a very, very young age. Like I, I always say something simple to parents like, you know, when the toilet's running, like take your daughter, fix it. Show her, like show her how to fix it, right? And I think, you know, when, you know, you're an, an educator, like encourage her to go, to stick with it. Yeah, and to stay on her to, and to meet her where she's at. Um, and, you know, with those moments, because they'll come where suddenly she loved math and now she hates it. Like, don't give up. 
this has been the Ed Search On Air podcast. This episode was produced and edited by me, Mary Jo Matta, and advertisements were read by Alice Meyerhoff. You can give us a grade on the quality of this podcast by rating us on iTunes or sending an email to us at feedback at edsearch.com. You can also subscribe on the iPhone podcast app, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with more on the future of education. We'll see you then.